We are taking a look, if you're visiting, at the most strange and wonderful creation of God's, the family. Uh, we proposed last week that you live in more than one family. And what is family to me today? And that's a huge debate that is out there. We said that the family is a living organism that is so resistant to change. You always want to just hold it. And yet, ironically, it's destined by definition to always be changing. We uh, took a look last week at marriage. We look at this morning the question of singleness. And I confess to you, it's been a long time since I've been single. But it's been fun talking with all of you this last week. You realize that you start single, and the odds are you will end up single unless you die together. I had someone tell me that they wanted to die quietly in their sleep like their grandfather, not like the other people screaming in the car he was driving. But <laughs> as we get into this question, what is this thing, and how do I live my life as singles, and how do you find a date? Before eHarmony and before Match.com and before Christian Mingle, our drama department found a very ancient site. Watch this. I'm not even sure why, why, why I agreed to do this video. I mean, I don't really want anyone. It's better, you know, to be single, right? Well, okay, but if I was to find that someone special, okay, I'd want her to complete me. Like, if I was the eye, she'd be the foot. Yeah, yeah that's what I think. I want to be treated like a queen, doted on, thought of as special. I like to dance in public, sometimes naked. So if you got a problem with that, don't bother calling. I like a man who's strong, real strong. Like kill a hundred Philistines with the jawbone of an ass strong. Oh, and not afraid of scissors. No scissor sissies! Oh, well, I guess I like long walks on the beach, and uh, although that's usually after a shipwreck. <laughs> Oh, she should be a good swimmer. A nice girl, someone I could work to prove myself for. But no sisters. I don't ever again want to date a girl with a sister. Younger sister, okay. Older sister, no way. Wives, concubines, distant cousins. I'm not picky. I'll take anyone. I've got lots more space in the palace. Uh, I'd like my soulmate to be a real um, salt-of-the-earth type woman, uh, a real pillar of our community, someone who never looks back. All right, men, listen up. I hear all the time, I can't find a girl I can bring home to mother. Well, guess what? I specialize in mother-in-laws. Get along with them great, so call me. Someone with first aid training, yeah, that'd be a good idea because I get hurt a lot. <laughs> I'm looking for a man who's ready to settle down and start a family. Right away. I don't want to be chasing kids around the house when I'm 80. Do you like sailing? Do you love seafood? Are you into romantic cruises? That I'm the man for you. Oh, and you need to be an animal person. S seriously. Um, that's about it. I, uh... Oh, uh... She should probably be into a prison ministry. You love, you love.
as we take a look at this and this whole question of singleness, and what does the Bible say about that? Well, the Bible doesn't say a whole lot about dating, and the reason why is nobody dated. Marriages were arranged. The vast majority of brothers and sisters we will meet in glory, uh, their marriages were arranged. But it does have a lot to say to realize that the purpose of life is not found in being married. The purpose of life is found in being in Christ. And whether single or married, whether in family situations or in family of friends, or we'll talk about next week, the family of faith we belong to, Christ is the answer in that. Well, let's take a look at, there's so many passages in Scripture here. First of all, what is the purpose of relationships? And the purpose of relationships is to help each other grow into the image of Christ. Second of all, what are the problems in relationships? And the problem in relationships is you and me. Never ask God to remove the problem because you'll be going (laughs) bye-bye. The problem is this sinful nature that we want to manipulate and control versus give and bless. But above all, to take a look at the provision for relationships. And God has given remarkable provision. Whether we are single or not, that God has given. He wants not just spirit-filled people. He wants spirit-filled relationships. And God will move the universe to help us look at that. Well, there's a lot of passages in Scripture, and there's one that's read, I read all the time at weddings, the couple's light, and yet I think it's for singles. If you've got your Bible, turn over to Ecclesiastes and to the fourth chapter on page 538 in your pew Bible in verses 9. Now, no one knows for sure who wrote Ecclesiastes. It's usually attributed to Solomon, Shlomo, because it seems to have his characteristics. But in the middle of this writing of this, In verse 9, look at this. Two are better than one, because they have a good reward for their toil. For if they fall, one will lift up the other. But woe to the one who is alone and falls and does not have another to help. Again, if two lie together, they keep warm. But how can one keep warm? And though one might prevail against another, two will withstand one. A threefold cord is not quickly broken. Well, of course, all this which we saw last week, all relationships are to reflect God. And as a single, I and you have the Imago Dei. That's the Latin for the image of God. And this triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. The Father is not the Son, is not the Holy Spirit. The Son is God. The Father is God. The Spirit is God. It's not three gods, and it's not one God with three hats on. And there's no good analogies to the Trinity because God is not one in a series of events. It's just like, how can this photons bouncing off my faith like be both wave and particle? It is, physics will tell us. How can an electron have both weight and yet not occupy a space, really? How does it do that? It does. And in the same way, God, likewise. But the relational God is what you and I are made in that image. And so, in all relationships, and particularly starting in this area of friendship, The first relationship we had was with our parents growing up. And we'll be talking about that. We'll be talking about divorce, talking about aging parents, about aging children. But this morning as we stand together and say, well, this is a question about who I am here. And the first thing is to realize is, when you have a friend, and intimacy, remember, comes from the Latin word for the inner room of the castle. We normally run and think of physical intimacy, but there is a relational and spiritual intimacy that transcends very often the marriage bound. In fact, Scripture will say there is a brother who is a friend who is closer than a brother. 
David and Jonathan said that he loved Jonathan more than his love for a woman. And I don't think that was in a sexual way. He means the intimacy of those two guys' hearts together. And some of the trouble for a lot of us is we haven't learned how to harness this. Now, whether they're in a different relationship with you, whether it's family, whether it's a colleague who you work with, whether somebody is sitting by in the pew, whether it is somebody going out on a date, you express Christ's love to them. And it's kind of like, if you will, a prism. One light breaks up into different colors. You know a prism of affection on your body? Your lips. You kiss people in a different way according to the relationship that you have. You kiss certainly your friends. I just went to a gathering, and it was an Arab gathering, and I didn't realize in a lot of these gatherings that men kiss men there. And wow. I don't, I was glad, how long do you hold it? I just don't know the question there, but, um, <laughs> you kiss friends, you kiss your grandmother, you kiss your child, and you kiss your lover. Same lips, same heart, different manifestation. And in the same way, the intimacy is a single with other singles. It's different kind of layers, if you will, this beautiful multifold re- love of God that comes out in human to human. Well, what's interesting in this, that how you get as a first relationship, how do I be close to you without controlling you? How do I be bonded to you without being in bondage? And that's always the challenge. A healthy relationship as a single, and the closeness depends upon that place where you're at with that person, should have a flexibility to it. Yesterday, uh, one of our staff members, uh, Dan Macy, and his wife now, Rachel, got married, and we were talking about a covenant is different than a contract. A contract, if you break it, the deal is off. A covenant is always working. Just like your body, when you cut yourself, your body doesn't go, well, that's ruined, lose that arm. It's always trying to heal and to reconnect and to bring back, just like God does with us. He, we can be running, we can break it from this side and fall. We do all the time. But God is always trying to renew. And likewise, when you're in a healthy relationship, there's a flexibility. I used to always tell my children when they were little, when they're friends in grade school, the friends are like rubber bands. Sometimes you're close, sometimes you're far apart, and it always comes back and forth. And likewise, as you and I go through life, sometimes you're close to a person, and sometimes it moves back. But this question of, okay, so I understand that as friends... And by the way, you can't keep all your friends your whole life. It's not possible. It's okay to say goodbye. It doesn't mean you're burying them. I'll never talk to you again. That's No, that's resentment. But you can't collect all these relationships. And I don't care how many friends you got on Facebook. I don't care how much you text. At some point, you've got to park people in different orbits. Always do it healthy. Always do it because you have no idea when it's going to come back. But it's all right to say I'm your BFS, your best friend sometimes. But sometimes you have people in different places, and we need to learn that. But what about this whole question about singleness and, and sexuality? Next week or in a couple of weeks, we're going to be talking about divorce. And Jesus just told the disciples that you shouldn't get divorced. And the disciples' response is, well, then you shouldn't get married. Turn over with me to Matthew and to the 19th chapter, page 800 in your pew Bible. So the purpose is to glorify God. That's true sometimes in a sexual demonstration. Sometimes it has nothing to do about the physical at all. 
So in the 19th chapter in verse 10, <laughs> I love the honesty of his disciples. His disciples said to him, if such is the case of a man with his wife, it's better not to marry. But he said to them, not everyone can accept this teaching, but only those to whom it is given. For there are eunuchs who have been so from birth, and there are eunuchs who have been made eunuchs by others, and there are eunuchs who have been made eunuchs for the sake of the kingdom of heaven. Let anyone who can accept this receive it. Now what is he talking about? Well, there are some who were born and they'll never have a sexual experience or relationship in that way. Either they have no desire, either they don't have the physical capability for that, still have great relationship. At this time, royalty in the Middle East, they wanted men to protect their women, their princesses and all their harem. And so what they would do is, is they would castrate you, what the eunuch came from, so you wouldn't be tempted. Talk about being committed to your job, huh? He said some are that way. And then he says this thing, and there are some that are eunuchs for the kingdom's sake. I used to, I told you before we get together with Archbishop Chaput, a lovely man, uh, Roman Catholic Archbishop in Colorado. I told you before I asked him, can I call you Archie? He said, no, no. Uh, but, but we talked about this, and it's from this passage, the question of eunuchs for the kingdom's sake, how much more the priests are 24-7 for the work of the church. And, you know, i got to tell you something. That, and they have closeness, and they have friends and relationship. And I, that's really true. We have very often, I cannot respond ministerially as fast as people who are single. Because I have the responsibility of the family. Now, one is not better than the other, but Christ is just saying. But notice he says they're not destined to loneliness. And if the Lord is calling you to a life of singleness, sure you may wonder. But there's not that, I don't think that be that longing in the deep sense that a lot of us feel and say, Lord, when are you going to bring the right person this way? And so Jesus is telling him that in this relational covenant, and the most important thing, Adelphias, is the word for friend that Jesus will say, no longer do I call you doulos, servants, but I call you adelphioi, my friends. That there are so many times that we can be close to each other, but we're so afraid. Sometimes, how do you get close to people? Sometimes it's common experiences. Sometimes it's common interest, age and stage. They're going through life what you are. Sometimes, like I say, it's experience. I remember when uh, my older brother was dying of leukemia that I would go and pray with him and talk with him in the hospital. And yet when someone else came walking into his room that had just come from chemotherapy, bang, there was a connection. Because they knew exactly what he was going through and he knew what they were going through. That I never could. Some of you that have gone through death, singleness by that or by divorce. Some of you that are long to be married and never happened and someone else talks to you. C.S. Lewis had a great line. He said, friendship is when someone else says, you too, I never knew anyone else felt that. When someone else can articulate exactly what you're feeling. Socrates said, a friend is one soul that fills two bodies. That sense of it coming along and understanding and sharing those crazy dreams, you got those wild ideas, those things that you're afraid of, you can't share with anybody else. That's this intimacy that Christ says to us. But the trouble with being vulnerable is you get hurt. I, uh, somebody didn't fact check this for me yet. Every single sermon, somebody out there, thank God for iPhones or fact checking what I'm saying. But, well, I forget which princess it was in the, 
I think it was the Ming Dynasty that the law was if you touch the princess, you died. And because that's for her protection. And she loved her people. And she was one day out in the boat going through in Peking at that time. And she fell overboard and she never learned to swim. And a horrified citizen watched her drown rather than touch her. There are some of us that have been so hurt, we got a kill zone a hundred yards around us. And the trouble is we're setting ourselves up to drown. One of the most important life-giving skills that God can give to you and me, as singles or whatever, is learning how to have friends. And taking the time and being vulnerable. Now, don't be naive and stupid. And particularly in a city like L.A. or wherever you're watching from. you got to play heads-up ball out there. But the moment you say, I'm never going to let anybody close to me because they'll hurt me, you're dooming yourself to isolation. And that's particularly true of people that have hurt you and you say, I'll never trust you again. That's where the Holy Spirit comes and says, don't trust them, trust me in this. Viktor Frankl, surviving the death camps of Nazi Germany, said he had to have two traits to make it. You know, if the Nazis didn't kill you, a lot of people just died. And they asked him, what did it take to survive? I mean, think of the hell on earth of a death camp. He said you needed two things. You needed faith and you needed friends. The people that were unwilling to make friends in the death camp because you were protecting yourself, didn't make it. They just died. And that sense of faith, he said, is like a small, it's like a fire. If you have just a little ember, the winds will snuff it out. But if you have a hot fire, winds will flame it into even a bigger flame. And likewise, when we have friends and learning how to walk along and to share with them. And the biggest question in dating, when you're looking at that, it's, I know there's a lot of books out there that say you only date for the purpose of marriage. I don't agree with that. Uh, I saw Carolyn reading a dating book the other day, and that was an issue as we talked about that, but it's a good book. It's uh, Henry Clouds on boundaries and dating and how to have a date uh, worth keeping. And he says in this, and I think Henry's on to something. He said that the, you should go ahead and date, even if you never plan on marrying this person, for three reasons. Because of the things it teaches you about others, about ourselves, and about God. You go on a date, you find out a lot about you, don't you? Like you, you go home that night thinking, I never realized how much I hated what they just did. You learn that about you, you know? You learn a lot about others and learning how to be in relationship. And again, it doesn't have to be mega romantic or anything. I'm just how to share and look at eyes and having somebody closer. Like they say, dating is putting your best foot forward. Marriage is when the other foot comes out. And learning how to be in the relationship of surprises. And it also teaches you about God. The marvel of God and the differences of people. I want to keep saying to this. I love marriage. I'm high on marriage. I think it's a wonderful creation of God. Marriage is not Savior. Jesus is Savior. And Christ wants us, even in our singleness. And I mean, I, I, I just can't... For those of you that are single out there, I just can't imagine how tough it is today. Particularly in a city like L.A. I mean, the last time I was dating John Travolta was not in Scientology. That's how long ago it was. <laughs> so it's been a couple of moons since then, and it was stuff that I can't even imagine today what you have to go through. It's why it's so important to be doing what you're doing here. Getting your head on straight and getting brothers and sisters around. And don't be afraid out there. Be wise. It teaches us so much in these... Singleness is neither a curse or a blessing. 
It's a place in the river. And it's how you and I manage that place in the river determines how God is going to be glorified in the blessing that we're going to be to others. So Jesus says to the boys, he has single disciples, he has married disciples. Peter was married. Jesus healed Peter's mother-in-law. And Peter still trusted Jesus. That's the incredible thing about Peter and them. They're, David and Jonathan have such a close relationship. Ruth and Naomi... Talk about girl to girl, the closest and the commitment they had. Timothy and Paul. Paul said he was his own family. We don't know if Paul had a family. We know he has a nephew that visits him in Acts, this one little passage where he comes when he's in prison. If he was a member of the Sanhedrin, he probably was. It wasn't required to be married, but there's no record of a single who was on the Sanhedrin, the Jewish Supreme Court. So when when Paul says, I have lost it all for the sake of Christ, he may have lost all of his family in that. But he considers Timothy his new family. And we'll talk about more about that next week. But he writes, he has a church in Corinth. Corinth, of course, southern Greece, is kind of like putting a church on the strip in Vegas. Temple of Aphrodite was there. It had up to 10,000 prostitutes. And you would go and to these prostitutes that have sex to make your life fertile in the Greek understanding of their polytheism that is there. And he plants a church in the middle of it. And they write, they send him a letter. And it's kind of a grocery list. They have questions to him. And Paul is writing to them. Got your Bible. Let's turn over to this letter. Turn over to 1 Corinthians into the 7th chapter. It's on page 979 in your pew Bible. Dating does teach you a lot, and Paul will say that about each other. They say there's nothing about dating here because nobody dated. It was all arranged marriages. Little uh, girl went to her mommy and said, Mommy, is it true in some countries uh, the bride doesn't know who her husband is until the day they're married? And she said, Honey, that's true in all countries. But <laughs> in the seventh chapter in verse 1. Now concerning the matters about which you wrote... It is well for a man not to touch a woman. But because of cases of sexual immorality, porneia, we get pornography from that, each man should have his own wife and each woman her own husband. The husband should give to his wife her conjugal rights and likewise the wife to her husband. For the wife does not have authority over her own body, but the husband does. Pause. And the whole Roman world would have went, of course. Now this is a shocker. Likewise, the husband does not have authority over his own body, but the wife does. Do not deprive one another except for perhaps agreement for a set time to devote yourselves to prayer, but come together again so that Satan may not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. This I say by way of concession, not of command. I wish that all were as I myself am, but each has a particular gift from God, one having one kind and another another kind. What I love about Paul is he's got this wonderful view on life. It's like it came from God. Our culture has everything upside down. Sex is nothing, but sex is everything. Paul says marriage is like Christ and the church, which we saw last week in Ephesians. The holiness of God and his people. God in the Old Testament, the Tanakh says, is not Israel my bride? And Paul takes that and says, Christ and the church. We are made for Christ And, you know, this life is passing by fairly fast when we get there, how we have lived this life. But here he writes and says, hey, if you're going to walk around horny all day, get married. And he said, well, how can you have such a low view? He's not. 
He's saying, though, his point is, he says, I wish you were single like me. But not everybody is called to that. Now, it's fascinating. This is one of his earlier letters, is life will go on. He'll even speak more and more about the marital bond and about covenants. He realized he's going to be executed before Christ returns in his lifetime, as he thought that he would. But you and I, as we call to this place, this biblical view of what relationship is and caring and giving. And this understanding, whoever you date, do you leave them better than you found them? This is true of all relationships. When you work in an office, or you're in a classroom, as you interact with people, are they better off because they knew you? If you date somebody, sure there might be a sting, but there shouldn't be a tearing out of your heart. Do you leave them better than you found them? And this should be questioned certainly true of this church. Is this church better because you are here? That's what Christ wants to know. We'll talk more about that next week. Is this church better because I am here? That's what I'm going to give an account for in that sense of how I have served the Lord by serving you. And this great freedom that God gives us, whether it is pre-marriage singleness or post-marriage singleness, I did a wedding some time ago for a gentleman who was dating a girl when they were in high school. And he was a rough hand in Oklahoma, Ken Brill. And this was the love of his life. And her papa said, no, you're not going to marry this rough hand. And I'm going to make you, I wanted, he wanted her to marry a teacher. Well, when Ken retired, when he was 75 years old, his title was Vice President Conoco Oil Western Hemisphere. <laughs> he did quite well. And he found her again. And when they, I did the wedding, he was 81, she was 79 years old. And after they were widow and widower, and they found each other. And just the beauty of their coming together, separated from all those years. And they loved their husbands and wives. But they finally found each other again. And it showed me something about this thing of love. Whether it is single or whether it was somebody else, the power of the Holy Spirit to take the past, redeem it, and use it for the present and the future is stunning. And that's exactly what he did. There's a sense of being able to follow Christ and to realize that he calls us to. And whether, you know, there are prophets who were married and there are prophets who were single. C.S. Lewis married late in his life, in his late 50s. They really did it to help her get a green card. And he ended up falling in love with her completely. Corey Ten Boom, somebody from the last, after World War II, her entire life spent in singleness. You find every time, and the passage we read about eunuchs for the kingdom is why the Roman Catholic Church has that sense of their not marrying, and, and as we said, the freedom in that. The most important thing is whether, you know, whether the Lakers are playing here or whether they're playing in Phoenix, they're still playing basketball. And whether you are single or whether you are married, you are still called to serve Christ in all relationships. And it is such a great joy. As I said, you do live for the first time in American history where there are more adult singles than married. You know that. And the ability for the church to be able to model what is healthy singleness. For me, I would say, get married. But don't realize, don't get married, but say that that's going to make your life worth living. Don't be crazy about it. I mean, it does cost you a lot. Little boy asked his father, Dad, what's it cost to get married? He said, I don't know, son. I'm still paying for it. (laughs) 
And it costs you giving up the freedom and a lot of other things, but something's changed. It costs you to let somebody close to you. Oh, yes, it does. It costs you to get in a small group. you got to drive over. How many times have you driven over to a small group? I do this and say, I don't have time for this. And I have never left and said, I wish I hadn't gone. I probably shouldn't have said that. Some of my small group is here. But as we were <laughs> moving ahead in life, this idea of saying, and for you taking it, coming to a worship service, when you financially honor Christ at the moment, you don't go, wee! And yet when you look back at life, and you see how God provides. When you pray for others and you care, and you see even, even when it costs you. And this is not as a martyr. This is saying, Christ lived through me. Martin Luther, origin, by the way, when he read that Matthew passage, he was one of the early church fathers in the third century, castrated himself. He said, well, I guess that's for the kingdom, I'll do that. That's not exactly applying the passage correctly. When they asked Luther about that, he said that's the exact opposite of what you should do. Luther, of course, the fireball priest who loved the Lord, who didn't really want to start, quote, the Reformation, but he said the church needed to be reformed. You know who helped Luther out? He was single most of his life. He did marry. He would have over ten children. He caught up for lost time, I guess. But his single friend, Philip Melanchthon. Philip Melanchthon was likewise a professor at the University of Wittenberg, you know who helped Luther write the Bible in the German? Philip Melanchthon. Do you know who helped Luther in the areas of ecclesiology, knowing how the church should work together? Philip Melanchthon. Do you know who it was who would help him very much of the theology and the forming out there that Luther would be the proponent of? His friend Philip Melanchthon. In fact, Philip Melanchthon would stand over Luther's grave and perform his funeral and three years later, when Philip Melanchthon died, would be buried in that same grave as Luther, you can see today, because they were that close. When we get into glory, won't it be something, as I said, when people look at you when we get to heaven, and whatever perfect bodies are, as I said, I can promise you it's not 57, whatever age it is, and when you look at them, but to know that their eyes at that moment, the only thing that would give them the greatest joy in the world is for your good, for you to be blessed. How can I love you? How can I help you? How can I serve you? That's what eternity will be. We think we're creative. Sin stops creativity. It's dead. That's why it's likened to the leprosy in the Old Testament. Righteousness is what is free. And the good news is we don't need to wait until we're in glory to start loving each other, no matter where our age and stage and place is, and to let God release that power into our life. God is a good God. Amen? Let's pray, shall we? Lord, I thank you for this wonderful thing called relationship. That God, we need that more than we need the air in our lungs and food in our bellies. God, that that is literally the blood in our veins spiritually. First of all, a relationship with you and then to others that are around us. Lord, I pray for all of our singles today, God, that are here, Lord, and watching. Lord, would you give them protection? Give them great friends, the right men and the right women around. Lord, I pray for those that you're calling to marriage. For a first, for a second, for a third time, O oh Lord, that you would bring them to the place of healing from the past and being able to serve you now. The good that they can bring from the past and to start it forward. For those, Lord, that you are calling to stay single, Lord, may they have in that sense, not that deep longing, but Lord, that contentment in you. Give them friends that are closer than any marriage could ever be. So we praise you, God, and we thank you for this high privilege for giving unto you what you've loaned to us. So, Lord, I pray right now as it costs us from the money you have loaned to us that your kingdom would go forth. 
Take this money, Lord, and use it for those people that need food and medicine and clothes. For those that need to hear the good news of Christ, bless the gift and the giver alike. For the glory of our friend, our Savior, Jesus, we pray. Amen.